I think most of you know that, this, but uh, that's Jesus Christ. He is the rock, the solid rock on which our hope is built. And we'll be discussing that rock today, the stone. I invite you to turn to the epistle of 1 Peter. We'll be in chapter 2, starting in verse 4. And I'm going to read through verse 10, but we're not going to cover all those verses this morning, so don't be alarmed. 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll read verses 4 through 10. The title of the message this morning will be, Coming to Christ the Living Stone. Coming to Christ the Living Stone. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. To whom coming, as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious, ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, an holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same as made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people but now are the people of God, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are delighted this morning to offer up praises to you, our great and wonderful and majestic God. You are worthy of our praise. You are worthy of every breath that we breathe. You are worthy of our dying breath. And Jesus Christ, your Son, the living stone, Father, may we come to him once more today. Thank you for calling us out of the darkness and placing us into the light, the marvelous light. Thank you for opening up our eyes to see Jesus Christ for who he is. And may our trust, may our dependence, may our everything be in him. Whether we eat or whether we drink or whatever we do, let us do it, Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ so that it may glorify you. Help us to rejoice in this living stone today. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. What is the most valuable thing that you own? We've talked about this before in another message, but it's good for us sometimes to think about that and what value we place on things in our life. We're all, we're all tempted to do this. We all struggle with this. We place a lot of value on things that are gifts and blessings of God. Everything that we have comes down from the Father of Lights. Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above, from the Father of lights, of whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything is a gift of God that we have. 
and everything is to be valued and everything is to be uh, given thanks for, but we are tempted and sometimes it gets distorted how much value we put on the things that God has blessed us with. So maybe as you think about the most valuable thing that you own, you might be having some things that come to mind. Maybe it's a set of golf clubs, not the most valuable thing I own. A house, maybe, that is certainly worth a lot of money, more and more each day that goes by, it seems. Maybe it's a vehicle that you have. I don't think anyone here has a Tesla, but if you had a Tesla, that might be the uh, most valuable thing that you own. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your 401k as a result of many years of working with a company and putting in, into that as a part of your paycheck, your pension, your retirement. Maybe it's stocks that you bought that are doing really well and you have a lot of money in the stock market, your portfolio. Maybe it's your education. Maybe it's your rugged good looks. Certainly not mine. Maybe it's your health. You know, people value their health to an extreme. Maybe it's your children. Our children can become idols. Instead of being thankful and grateful for them and being obedient to the word that says to train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, we make idols out of them. Easy to do. Maybe it's your spouse. We can do the same thing with that. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's a friend, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or just a friend. Or maybe it's your family. Family is precious. Family is, is to be thankful for, to be grateful for. Many people don't have a family, and if they do have a family, it's, it's a, a, a dysfunctional family. And so if you have a good, functional family, if you have a godly family, that is a heritage of the Lord. It is something to be thankful for. It's something to praise God for. But maybe it's everything to you. What do you think the most expensive or valuable thing in the world is in terms of dollars? I had some guesses before I searched this, and I was wrong on all of them. But the most expensive thing in the universe is the International Space Station. $150 billion has been put into the International Space Station since its inception. $150 billion is floating in outer space. <laughs> and it is, it is a marvel, it is a feat, certainly, of God-given wisdom and effort. It is something to be thankful for. It, it has opened up so many things to, for us to be able to see and, and to go, and, and it's, it's amazing. But as we think about things like that, that, that we would say are the most valuable or the most expensive things that we could think of in this world, I implore you today to look at something infinitely more valuable than the International Space Station. In fact, there is something that Peter is imploring you to look at and to come to that is infinitely more precious, infinitely more valued than all the most valuable things in the world, in the universe combined. And that's Jesus Christ, the living stone. He is to be the most prized possession. He is to be the most honored thing, the most honored possession that you have. And if he is not, then there is a distortion in your mind and heart. There is a distortion in your mind and heart of the true value of things. Everything must be in its proper place. Peter says that the believer the one who has been born again, the one who has been filled with the Spirit of God, the one who is hungering and thirsting after righteousness to be filled, 
He says that one, that believer in Jesus Christ, who believes in who he is and what he has done, and that he sits at the right hand of God, the one who believes that, Peter says, will be coming to this living and precious and chosen and chief cornerstone daily. Because what you value, what you value is where your heart is going to be. And that's what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, what you value the most, that's where your affections are going to be. That is what your will is going to be involved in. That's what your mind is going to think about. So if we go back and we say what you value most is your children, you're going to think about them, you're going to do everything for them, everything about your your heart, your mind, and your will is going to be all wrapped up in your children to an extent that it's idol worship instead of having its proper place according to the scriptures. And you can insert all the other things that we talked about. But the word of God, the word of God would point you to something greater than, than placing those things of greater value than Jesus Christ. And then as we go on to see, and we won't really talk about it today, a result of the believer daily coming to this living, precious, chosen cornerstone daily is that what flows from that is that you then become living stones that offer up daily sacrifices, daily worship that is acceptable to God. As we read in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2 this morning, the result of daily coming to this living stone is that you become alive. You become living And you become active in giving your life, your whole being, as worship to this God. And it is acceptable. And it is pleasing. And it is a sweet smell in his nostrils. You know, it's a stench in the nostrils of God. When we value anything over Jesus Christ. That is a stench in his nostrils. He can't stand it. How many times have you brought a stinky smell before your father? I tell you, I have more than I'd like to admit. And it is of shame and it is of regret. And there's still things in my life which have an improper, an improper place. And I must work on laying those aside, as Peter said in verse 1. Lay aside all malice, all guile, all hypocrisy, and all envy, and all evil speaking. You've got to lay it aside. You're going to come to this living stone. And so this is the aim of our lives. It is to offer up daily worship to God. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, He has created all things... And all things were created for his pleasure. You are and were created for the pleasure of God, for the worship of God, for the service of God, for the joy of God. And for your joy and your pleasure to be in worshiping God and delighting in in him more than you delight in anything else. That is the aim. That is the goal of your life. God has saved you not only for heaven. God has saved you not only for eternal life. He has saved you so that you now, as you wait for heaven, that you may daily be worshiping him and offering up daily sacrifices that please him. And So as we look at this text today, let us consider who this living stone is that we should come to. And the next time we'll talk about what coming to the living stone leads to in our daily lives. Number one, Jesus is a living stone. Number two, Jesus is a rejected stone. Number three, Jesus is a chosen stone. Number four, Jesus is a precious stone. Number five, Jesus is a cornerstone. Number six, Jesus is a stumbling stone. And then as we go on, we won't cover these today, but 
You are a living stone, a part of the building of God. You are a priest in the priesthood of God. Your whole life is a life of worship to God that is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We won't get to those 7 through 9, but we will get to this as we close. You should come daily to the living stone. So number one, Jesus is called in our text by Peter, the living stone. Verse 4. To whom coming as unto a living stone. This is a metaphor. Jesus is not a literal stone. This is a metaphor. This is an analogy. Jesus is like a stone, but he is a living stone. And so Peter is using the metaphor of a stone to talk about Jesus. Where did Peter get this idea from? This idea of Jesus being a stone. Well, several places, I think. We have them in the scriptures, but this was a part of Jewish life. A lot of the Jewish houses that they lived in were made out of stones. Not necessarily brick like we have today, certainly not wood like we have today. But they were built out of stones. They had stone houses. Stones were very important in their life. But I think ultimately where Peter latches on to this idea of a stone comes from the Old Testament, number one, and then two, Jesus talking about himself, quoting the Old Testament and saying that he is the rock and he is the stone that was talked about in the Old Testament. So go to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to try to move quickly because we've got a lot of ground to cover. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is the living stone. He is the rock of ages. Don't you love that song? Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Jesus is the rock of ages. He is the cleft. He hides you in the cleft of the rock so you won't be destroyed. But after preaching and bringing his Sermon on the Mount to a close, this is what Jesus says. Therefore, Matthew 7, 24. I think I said Matthew 5, but it's Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, after everything that he said on the Sermon on the Mount, therefore, whosoever hears these saying of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house on what? On a rock. On a rock. Jesus says if you listen to his teachings and you are, become obedient to his teachings, it will be like building your house on a rock instead of building it on sand. Not a good idea to build your house on sand. It might look nice. It might look just like another house that's built on a rock. But as Jesus said, time will tell what's going to happen when your life is built on the sand instead of on a rock. He says, and the rains descend, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. That's the life that's built on Jesus Christ. That's why we sing that song with the kids. The wise man built his house on a, pro on a rock. Because we're saying that we should build our life upon the holy scriptures, the teachings of Jesus Christ, the teachings of the apostles, this is the foundation that has been laid. And no other foundation is laid except what has been laid by Jesus Christ and the apostles. And you can't build upon that foundation. You can't build upon any other foundation than that which has been laid or your house is going to crumble. Your house is going to fall. Everyone that hears these sayings of mine and do, does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house on the rock. And when the winds and the rains come and beat upon the house and the floods, it falls, it crumbles, it crashes, and great is the fall of it. When it came to pass, and Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine. 
I think Peter was astonished at his doctrine. Peter was amazed at the words that Christ had just preached. He said, yes, this is the rock. This is the foundation. This is the one that we have been waiting for. No one has ever taught like this. No one has ever spoken like this. This is the living stone. Well, then you go to Matthew 16. Flip over there with me. Matthew 16. Years of ministry, traveling from town to town, hearing Christ preach, seeing Christ heal, seeing Christ do miracle after miracle, spending daily time with Christ, intimate moments with Christ, coming down closer to the end of the ministry of Christ and closer to the death of Christ. Jesus is walking with his disciples, Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that the Son, that I, the Son of Man, am? Who are people saying that I am? And they said, Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter one who wrote this epistle, said, You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. You're the Son of God. You're the manifestation of the glory of God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon, Barjona, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto you that you are Peter, Petros, little stone. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Some have grossly, grossly misinterpreted that saying. In this verse, to think that Jesus was talking about Peter. Peter is not the rock on which the church was built. Jesus Christ built his church upon himself. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the rock of ages. He is the rock that was laid in Zion. Peter was flawed. Peter was a man. Peter, Peter and the other apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, yes. And they would, be, they would be the foundation of the early church. But Jesus Christ is the rock. And I will give unto you, the rock will give unto them the keys of the kingdom. And whatsoever they shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Yes, Jesus gave power to his Apostles and to the disciples for the church to be built, for the church to have a witness, for the church to grow and to spread through all the earth. But the power came from the rock. He's the rock from the Old Testament, the rock that the water flowed from in the wilderness. This rock, Paul said, was Christ who followed them in the wilderness. So Jesus said, I'm the rock, Peter. I'm the rock. Build your life on me. Matthew 21. The Jews as a nation, the religious leaders as a group, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They said, you are not the Messiah. We will not have you to reign over us. You are not God's chosen stone. They rejected him. Therefore, Jesus said, you are a fulfillment of Isaiah. You are a fulfillment of Psalm, in the, the book of Psalm. That's what he says in Matthew 21, after talking in the parable about the vineyard, how that God had dwelt among his people, the Jews, and the nation of Israel. They were the vineyard that God had planted in the world. The, the religious leaders, the priests, 
They were the vine dressers. They were the ones that were supposed to be caring for and taking care of the vineyard. But they stopped taking care of the vineyard and they rejected they rejected the owner of the vineyard and they rejected his son whom the owner of the vineyard sent. They would not listen to the messengers, the prophets. They stoned them and they killed them. And lastly, he sent to them his son and they reject the son say, no, he will not reign over us. And Jesus said, therefore, he will take away the vineyard from the Jews and he will give it to the Gentiles. Well, do you think they, they like that message? Absolutely not. But they understood what he was saying because in verse 41, when he asked them, what will this husbandman do? What will the owner of the vineyard do to the husbandman? They said, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and let out his vineyard unto another husbandman, which shall render him their fruits and their seasons. They got it. They understood. They just didn't want to accept that it was them that he was talking about. And so now Jesus quotes from the Old Testament. Jesus said unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures... The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. And they sought to lay hands on him. But it was not yet his time. So this is where Peter has gotten this idea of Jesus Christ being the stone. It's from Jesus himself. And Jesus applying Old Testament scriptures as we'll later see. We'll go to those Old Testament passages that have been fulfilled in Christ. But it says that he is not just a stone that we come to, because you might think, well, that's interesting, right? Why use a metaphor of a stone? Why should we come to Christ? Why should we consider Christ as a stone? Nobody really wants to come to a stone. What is a stone going to offer you? Right? I like Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I really like bread. I mean, bread is, is, is top three for me of foods. Okay? I love it when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I get that. I understand that. I'm coming to Jesus. He's going to fill me greater than bread will do. He's going to sustain me. He's going to comfort me. He's going to give me that feeling that is far above the feeling that bread can give me. I, I understand it. He says that he is, he, he is the, uh, the water that springs up within our soul, right? He is the fountain. He is, he, when we come to him, we shall never thirst. I understand that because I love water. I love, I love different kinds of drink and how they... Quench your thirst. But a stone? Now there are some beautiful stones. You just got to think about it. We're not talking about a dirty, filthy, moth-infested stone. Think of the most beautiful stone that you can imagine. And now imagine it the size of the universe. And now imagine it's alive. It's living. It has life. Well, that's great because the qualities of a stone, first of all, are that it, that it is firm and it is unshakable and that it is steady and that it is not easily removed. Right? And you can stand on a stone, you can stand on a rock, and you're standing on a good foundation. And that way, as Jesus said, if rain or heavy winds or floods come, you can stay on the stone and not be carried about with all those things. But what's even greater than that is not only do you have the stability, not only do you have the, the, the firmness of the rock, but now you have life proceeding from that. And so it is giving you nourishment. It is giving you healing power. It is giving you sustenance. As well as a firm, unshakable, powerful stability. 
Now, why was this important to Peter? Because up to Peter's transformation, up to Peter's conversion, Peter was building his life on sand. And it came crashing down. He thought that he was something. He thought that he was great. He thought if everybody else would deny Christ, everybody else would flee from Christ, he would not. He said, even if everyone else deny you, if everyone else will, will flee from you, I will die for you. I'll go to prison with you. Building his life on sinking sand, his own strength, his own power, his own wisdom. He wasn't on the rock yet. And so his life comes crumbling down, and he thinks, I've made a mess of it all. I'll never be restored. And then Jesus, Jesus comes to him after his resurrection, and he says, go tell Peter that I'm coming. Go tell Peter that I'm coming. And tell him to come to the living stone. Because now he's going to build his life on me. And he picks Peter up out of the sinking sand and he places him on the rock. Peter is never the same. Never the same. Peter would become the leader of the early church. He would become bold in his faith. He would become a great preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would point people to Christ. He would be leader of the early church. And he would give his life as a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is important to him. That Jesus Christ is the living stone that restores, that heals, that gives power, that gives stability. John, uh, John chapter 5 verse 26, Jesus said, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has given to the Son to have life in himself. Jesus Christ is the living stone. He is life. He is the life. John 6, 57, Jesus says, As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eats me, takes of me spiritually, feasts on me spiritually, even he shall live by me. As you come to the living stone, you are getting life from Jesus Christ. We live by him. We move. Our very being comes from him. John eleven twenty five 25, verse 26, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Jesus Christ is life, eternal. And he that believes in me, though he were dead, yet he shall live and whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. If you die, you live. And if you're living me, you shall never die. All we do when we pass from this life on to the next is we transition. We transition from our, from our earthly tabernacle to a heavenly tabernacle. That's it. There is no death. Not real death. Death of the body, yes, but not death of the soul. The soul lives on. The soul is eternal. It is a transition. And then one day, yes, your body died, but God will raise up and give you a new body, an immortal body, to be joined with your immortal soul. Because Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man, no woman, no child comes unto the Father except through Jesus Christ. There's no other way to God, the Father, except through Jesus Christ. He is the way and he is the life. There is no life outside of Jesus Christ. And we believe in all these things. But I love what Jesus goes on to say in verse 9. Because I live, you shall live also. The only way you and I are going to live is because Jesus Christ is the living stone. And then Paul would say in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3 through 4, For you are dead, your old man, your old life, what you had built your life on. You are dead, and your new life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, Jesus Christ is your life. 
Your life is wrapped up in him and in his person and his being. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then we also shall appear with him in glory. Because that's where he is. He's in you and he's in glory. One day you're going to appear with him in glory. Have you seen Jesus as the living stone? Have you seen him? If you've been given faith, you have. And you come to the living stone that you might have life. When we go on to talk about the rejected stone, Jesus told those that didn't believe in him, you will not come to me that you might have life. They were rejecting the very source of life. Number two, Jesus is a rejected stone because it says... To whom coming as a living stone, disallowed indeed of men. I wish everybody saw Jesus Christ as the living stone. I wish everybody came to Jesus Christ as the living stone. I wish everybody was given this life, this life eternal to know him and see the value of him. But the fact is that God has saved a remnant out of the human race. And so most reject Christ. As the living stone. And they see him nothing more than a dead stone. Verse 4. Disallowed. That means rejected. Indeed of men. Verse 7. The stone which the builders disallowed. They disapproved of it. They rejected it. Here's a translation. That really brings this life. This verse to life. For me. Here's the way it's translated. I just love the way it starts out. The Lord Jesus is the living stone. The people of the world decided that they did not want this stone. But he is the one God chose as one of great value. So come to him. It does what it does in Greek and it reverses the, the order. So it says, as coming to him as a living stone, it just says, Jesus is the living stone. Some people have decided they didn't want this stone, but he was the chosen stone of God no matter what they decided to do anyway. So come to the living stone. Peter is, again, drawing from a couple of Old Testament passages as we already saw Jesus quoted, quoting from in Matthew 21. The first is Psalm 118. Psalm 118 and... Verse 22 and 23. The stone which the builders rejected or refused, sorry, the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord Jehovah's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And then the verse that we love is right after it. This is the day which the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the living stone? But he is the rejected stone. He is the disapproved stone. He is, as it says here, the refused stone. The second passage is from Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8. And just as a side note, did you notice that when Peter was quoting from the Old Testament that he called it scripture? Scripture. He didn't even he didn't he didn't say Isaiah or Psalm. Psalms, he said, it is in the scripture. The Old Testament is the scripture as well as the New Testament. So that's an important note. Isaiah chapter 8 in verse 14. Well, verse 13. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself and let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a sanctuary, but for a stone of stumbling and for a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, for a gin and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. 
and fall and be broken and be snared and be taken. Old Testament prophecy concerning Jesus Christ that has been fulfilled and is being fulfilled in our day and time. And then on Isaiah chapter 28 in verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believes shall not make haste. So Peter is just simply following Jesus Christ. He's just simply following what was written in the Psalms and following what Isaiah prophesied about. To those that believe, he is the living, precious, chosen cornerstone of God. To those that don't believe, he is a rejected stone and he is a stumbling stone. What about for you today? Is Jesus a precious, valued stone to you? Or do you reject him? Jesus is a rejected stone to the world. They have cast him out like a builder when he's selecting stones to build the house. First of all, he's going to look for the cornerstone, as we talk about in a second, because that's the most important stone. But he's going to throw out any of those stones that are not the cornerstone, number one, and number two, that aren't going to be used in the building of this house. He's just going to throw them out to be for the kids to play with, for, for just to collect dust out there. No good, no use. That is what the world has for Jesus Christ. They have rejected him. They have refused him. In fact, they hate him. They despise him. He has no beauty. He has no comeliness that they would desire him. They reject him. And his own rejected him. He came into his own, and his own received him not. They rejected him. They hated him. They despised him. They killed him. They said, let his blood be upon us and our children forever. They rejected the precious stone. Don't be like them. Because judgment will come. And judgment is coming for those that reject the chosen stone of God. It says, disallowed indeed of men, but what? But chosen of God and precious. Jesus is the chosen stone. But chosen of God, verse 4, elect, verse 6, is made the head of the corner, verse 7. Jesus is the chosen one of the Father. You know, so many, so many people have taken that phrase and put it in movies, like the Matrix, uh, Star Wars. You have the chosen one, the one that is prophesied about, the one that is, the oracle speaks of, the one that's going to come and save us all. Where does that come from? It comes from Jesus. He is the chosen one. Capital, the chosen one. He is the capital elect of the Father. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. Oh, the Father delights in the Son, and the Son delights in the Father, and the and Jesus Christ is the chosen one, the elect stone of the Father. Matthew chapter 12 is another occasion where we see this analogy. Matthew chapter 15. Did I say 15? Let's go with the first one. Matthew 12. I think this is part of the uh, 
the stuffiness that I have. I don't think clearly. Matthew 12. Verse 14, then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, Jesus, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. There's the living stone. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, Isaiah, saying, Behold my servant, in whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He that shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Jesus is the chosen stone of the Father. Have you seen Jesus? Have you embraced him? Have you come to him as the chosen stone of the Father? Are you daily coming to this chosen stone? Number four, Jesus is the precious stone. Chosen and precious. Chosen and precious. Precious, verse four. Precious, verse six. Verse seven. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. This means valued. Valued, it's like what we talked about in the beginning. What do you value? What do you hold in high esteem? What is valuable to you? What was valuable to Peter was Jesus, the precious stone that we're to come to. And this is a theme of Peter. We've already seen him use this word a couple of times. In 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 7, he said, after telling them that they should greatly rejoice, even though that they are in manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious, valuable, held in high esteem, than of gold that perishes. Oh, to God, that we would value faith more than we value money. Oh, how America would change if America valued faith more than money. Valued the living stone more than they value the falling dollar. And there will come a day when it all comes crashing down. Just like Jesus said that it would. If your hope's in that, you have a dark future. But if your hope's in the living stone and your hopes in faith, and your hopes in love, then you have a bright future no matter what happens. In verse 19, he says, this is why we can have hope in all circumstances, because we were redeemed not with corruptible things like silver and gold, not with things that perish like the dollar, but we were redeemed with the precious, the valuable, the esteemed blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more valuable, nothing more precious than the blood, the pure and holy blood of Jesus Christ, which washes away every single sin of the elect for all eternity. And not only that, gives us the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ in our stead. That's precious. The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. No blemish, no spot, no wrinkle, no sin. In Jesus Christ. Well he's not through with that. He, he obviously isn't through with it here. He says it three times. Precious, precious, precious. It reminds me of the Lord of the Rings. Any of you watched that or read that? What were they consumed with? The precious. My precious. Right? So consumed with it. To the point at the end, Gollum, the one who was most consumed with it, wasn't willing to part with the ring, the precious, so much so that he bit it off the, the, the finger of Frodo Baggins and fell into the fires of Mordor and burned to death 
with the precious in his hands. Now, that's a picture of sin and how we outside of Christ value sin so much that we aren't willing to part with it. We'll destroy everybody's lives to get it, to, to hold to it, and it will destroy our own life in the end. But thanks be to Jesus Christ who destroyed the power of the little precious with himself in his precious blood. So good analogy there, a good picture. Didn't enjoy the eating part of the finger, but everything else was good. Jesus is precious in the eyes of the Father. You know, this is one of the most beautiful things that we, we read in Scripture is of the love that the Father has for the Son and the love that the Son has for the Father, the preciousness of the Son to the Father. Why should we value, why should Jesus Christ be precious to us? Because he is the most precious to God the Father, whom we love and whom we serve. He said on many occasions, This is my Son, in whom I love. My beloved Son, the only begotten of the Father. Listen to him. Hear him. Follow him. He is my beloved son. He is precious to me. He should be precious to you. Have you come to Jesus Christ as the precious stone? And are you daily coming to this precious stone over your sinful flesh? Fifth, Jesus is the cornerstone. And this is kind of the point that, Paul, that Peter is leading up to. A chief cornerstone, verse 6, the same as made the head of the corner. And we've talked about this a little bit already, but the cornerstone or the capstone is the most important stone in the building of a house. You have to look for this particular stone which the builder knows is going to support the rest of the house. If he doesn't pick a good cornerstone, you might call it a foundation stone, a capstone. If he doesn't pick a good one, it's not going to be a firm and steady house. A firm and steady foundation. It is the stone of stones. It is the stone that all other stones will be built upon. And so that's why, as we look at next time, he goes on to say, Jesus Christ is this cornerstone. Therefore, ye are living stones which are being built up into a spiritual house who are built upon the cornerstone, the capstone, Jesus Christ. And if he's the cornerstone and you're being built upon him, that's stability, that's power, that's life-giving to the soul. Jesus is the cornerstone of our life. Alexander Nisbet says, All that come to Jesus Christ shall find him a solid foundation to rest upon. Able to bear them and all their burdens, constant in his love to them and in the fulfilling of all his undertakings. That's the cornerstone, Jesus Christ. He's able to bear all your burdens. Come to him and lay down your burdens. He's able to bear them because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Because he's the cornerstone. He can support the whole building and the roof and everybody in the house. He goes on to say, There is not another rock or foundation stone whereupon the church or any true member thereof can be built but Jesus Christ himself. If a church, if your life is built on any other cornerstone, then the cornerstone of Jesus Christ it's not going to last. So talk about stability. Being connected to this cornerstone is everything in my life and in your life. Because the rains come and the winds blow and the floods try to destroy your faith, my faith, and our lives. But if we're in the cornerstone and we're on the solid rock... 
Nothing can shake us. Nothing can move us. That's why you have so much imagery in the Psalms where David is talking about God being the the fortress, God being the high tower. Because David had all these trials and pressures and persecutions. But he said, nothing can move me if I'm in the rock, if I'm connected to the fortress, if I'm in the high tower, no one can remove me from him. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that. He is the perfection of that. And listen to what the cornerstone said about being in him. And if you believe in Christ, you've been born again. This is true for you. John chapter 10. Jesus says in verse 25, I told you who I am, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never, never, never perish. Neither shall any man ever, ever, ever pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That is what it means to be in the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. You're in his hand, and he's in the hand of the Father, and there is no one greater. There is no one greater. There is no one who has the power to get you out. There is no one who has the power to remove you. There is no one who has the power to shake you so much that you will fall. Have you seen Jesus as your cornerstone? Is your life built upon his work and his teachings? Are you coming daily to this cornerstone? Number six, Jesus is a stumbling stone. And we've already talked about this, so we'll move quickly. But verse seven says, but unto them which be disobedient. Those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, therefore, are disobedient to Jesus Christ. He is a stumbling stone. Verse number six. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. The unbelieving world rejects Jesus as the living, chosen, precious, and cornerstone of the Father, and they stumble over him. What is a stumbling block? A stumbling block is an obstacle in the way which if one strike his foot against, he necessarily stumbles or falls. You can also call them Legos. One of the most dangerous stumbling blocks in the world, especially at night. If you step on a Lego, there's just no way to look cute. No way, no way to shrug that off. I told you to pick those up. But it's spiritual, isn't it? That over which the soul stumbles, by which it is impelled to sin, that is the stumbling stone. When the unbeliever hears the truth about Jesus Christ, when it is revealed to them, it stirs up within them a hatred. And it causes them to stumble, to stub their toe, and they are stirred up in anger. And instead of loving that, they hate it. And they kick it aside. And they say, get out of my sight. They are offended at the stone. 
How, do you, how many people do you know that are offended at Jesus Christ? They just take offense to him. If they don't take offense to Jesus Christ and they're unbelievers, it's because they don't know the true Christ. They've watered it down. Those that have watered Jesus down to say he was just a prophet or he was just a man or he was just a moral teacher, nothing to be offended at. But then if you study and you read and the truth about Jesus is told to you, that Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except, for, except through him, and you start talking about the exclusivity of Christ alone, and that all other forms of religion are false idols, then Christ becomes very offensive. And we live in an offended culture. Offended about everything. And at the top of the list is offended at Christ. You mean I can't earn my way to heaven? You mean that because I'm a good person that God isn't going to overlook all my evil deeds? And I'm going to get into heaven anyway? No. Jesus said the only way to the Father is through him. You must come to this living stone if you're going to have life. If you stumble over the stone, if you're offended over the stone, what does the scripture say? It says this rock will fall on you and crush you to power. No hope for you. The true hope, it says, is that you will fall on the rock and be broken. You. Not the rock. You will be broken. And now you'll love the rock because the rock opened up your eyes to the truth. And now you're going to come to the rock instead of stumbling over the rock. Is the rock of Jesus Christ going to fall on you and crush you to powder? The day of judgment is coming. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And that is a terrible thing to think about. And if you are not covered by his blood, if you have not been washed in the precious blood of Christ, you will be crushed. Or will you be broken today over the living stone, over the precious stone, over the chosen stone, over the cornerstone, Broken over your sin, open up to see your need of Him, and your desperate plight outside of Him. Come to the life giving stone. Come to the chosen stone of God. Come to the precious elect stone of God. Come to the cornerstone today. Flee from your sins, flee from your disobedience. Flee from your rebellion. Flee from your idolatry. And come to the living stone. And find mercy and grace and healing and redemption. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Jesus Christ is a stumbling block to the Jews. And he's offense to the Greeks. Nothing like their gods. But what about you? I'm not talking about the Jews or the Greeks today. We're talking about you and your current condition. Are you rejecting the wisdom of God? Are you thinking it's foolishness? Or are you embracing what the world considers to be foolish so that you may become wise? The wisdom of God and the power of God of God, Jesus Christ the rock. I implore you today with everything that I have and with everything that Peter has, everything that the scripture is saying, to whom coming? To whom coming? When it says that in the Greek, it is in the present tense. You are coming to the living stone. Vincent, in his word study, says this indicates a close, a close and a habitual approach and an intimate 
association. We come together as a family around a meal. We come together as a family to do devotion. We come together as husband and wife to love each other. It is close. It is habitual. should be. Sometimes it's not. It should be. And it is intimate. That is the kind of coming that Peter says that you are doing. If so be that you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. If you are desiring his word as babies desire milk. And if, because of that, you are laying aside all malice, all guile, all hypocrisy, all envy, then you will come to this living stone. And he implores you to come. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest. Oh, rest your weary, weary shoulders. Rest your weary body. On the rock of Jesus Christ. I always love Isaiah 55. It says, Ho to everyone that thirsts. Come and drink the waters. The living waters that God has provided. You can't buy it. You can't purchase it. You can't make for yourself cisterns with, with holes that will just leak out. He said, it is only I that can provide it. And it only comes through me. And if he's given you that thirst and he's given you that hunger. Feast. Feast. And that's what we're reminded of today as we take communion. We are to feast upon this living rock. He is to nourish us. He is to strengthen us. He is our life. May God bless you and keep you. Thank you for your kind attention today. Let's pray.